Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Be present as we share from this passage. Lord, um, my desire is that you just drop by. Drop by this very service. Drop by this very um, Sunday night. Uh, maybe everybody is just experiencing uh, uh, interest uh, that uh, is calling their minds, and maybe they're scattered a thousand different directions, uh, and they expect it just to be a normal little uh, service tonight. But Lord, if you'd drop by, God, if you would drop in, folks would be helped, lives would be changed. So, Lord, that's our prayer tonight. Just as you dropped by to visit your disciples, would you drop by and visit this band of church members? Oh, would you agree with me, church? I feel the Holy Ghost. Do you really want him to come by here tonight? Tell him, God, I just need you to drop by here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God will give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you believe he still drops by, give him a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You can be seated. God bless you. For a period of time in 2009 to 2010, uh, there was a man named Paul Yarrow created quite a stir in England among the London news media. Paul usually wearing a beige sweater. They said he kept popping up in the background of live news reports. They said 16 times this happened to be exact. Basically, he kept photobombing various on-location news reporters. And at first, uh, Paul's identity was a, a mystery. He soon got the nickname, the News Raider. No one knew his motive. He kept appearing on Sky News, BBC, and Channel 4. Eventually, though, Paul identified himself and his mission. And uh, he said that his drop-in appearances were to protest what he called the cutie culture that exists in television news. In his view, it wasn't fair that all the TV spokespeople were slim, trim, and good-looking. He says there should be room for folks like him in that genre, I guess. And so for a period of time, Paul just kept popping in, making unplanned appearances to prove his point. And I read that and I thought, well, for a short stint of time, 40 days to be exact, 
after Christ's resurrection, he kept popping in. Some one commentator said it that way, photobombing the disciples. And these unplanned appearances made a point, though. How many know Christ always stops by for a purpose? And uh, maybe that his point then was that as his followers and as believers, we should always expect the miraculous, expect the unexpected. Why? Because we serve a God of the impossible. With God, say it with me, all things are possible. One more time. With God, all things are possible. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says of Christ that he presented himself alive after his suffering for many, uh, excuse me, by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days. Christ's sudden and his surprising drop-ins vaporized the skepticism in the minds of his followers about his resurrection. The book of Acts calls these occurrences infallible proofs. It was during these divine drop-ins that they saw Christ. They heard him talk. They saw his scars and they concluded that there was no denying the fact he's alive. So I say he's alive. And so these divine drop-ins filled his disciples with, with faith and convinced them that life with Christ was going to continue because just, just because they saw him die on Calvary didn't mean that he could no longer show up or be present in their lives. So here in John 21, the Lord just drops in. And, and John begins in verse 1 with this phrase, after these things, Jesus showed himself again. Okay? Then he adds this phrase. He says, and in this way, he showed himself. Now that's kind of, to me, intriguing or interesting language. Because it's as if John is going to use this particular episode as a grid for understanding all of Christ's post-resurrection appearances. Because to John, the risen Christ began to follow a pattern. Okay? I'm going to go slow because I'm going to lay a little, little, little foundation here. John says, basically, here is how Jesus comes. This is how he goes. Don't be surprised if you experience one of these divine drop-ins. Praise God. In Matthew 28, 20, before, just before Christ ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, he said this, Lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the age. Now, there is a sense in which Christ is always with us in the person of the Holy Spirit, right? By the Holy Spirit, he can indwell our hearts. He could 
empower our lives. He can live his life through us. But there is another sense in which Christ still drops by. He can still drop in. He promises us in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together. In my name, there am I in the midst of them. For example, throughout the book of Acts, there are occasions where Christ reveals himself in a special manner and he performs uh, extraordinary works. All of us know from, from experience that there are moments, there are places where the presence and power of Christ is expressly sensed, tangibly felt. Come on, how many's ever experienced that? You knew the Lord was near. Huh? How many know if you've never experienced that, you can experience it tonight? We call these times, I'd call these times, divine drop-ins. And I, and I wonder if John chapter 21 can serve as, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a blueprint to help us recognize our Lord's uh, appearances in our lives. So I don't know about you, but I want to cooperate with him. And so for a few minutes this evening, I, I want to share four observations. Everybody say four. Okay, first, I want us to ask and observe where Jesus shows up. Second, when Jesus shows up. Four, third, how Jesus shows up. And finally, fourthly, why? Why Jesus shows up. Church, I'm convinced the risen Christ wants to drop in on us right here tonight. You really believe that? Church, Christ wants to drop by this very service, meet some needs that are in this very service, and be present in our lives when we leave here. So first, I want us to notice where. Everybody say where. Okay, so where Jesus shows up. Okay, I think it's odd that Christ doesn't appear in a synagogue. Come on. He's, he could appear anywhere he wanted to. He's got a resurrected body. But he doesn't appear in a synagogue. He doesn't appear in any kind of, at any kind of religious site of significance. Uh, the Temple Mount, that would have been a good place. Rather, he, he drops by on a very regular, ordinary, nondescript spot on a shoreline of a lake to a bunch of guys doing something as routine as fishing. And when we survey the dozen or so post-resurrection appearances of Christ, we discover them all, without exception, occurring in common everyday places. His appearances made the occasion special, but he never revealed himself at a special occasion. When Christ appeared to his disciples, it was always to interrupt what we would call the mundane, the monotonous, the routine daily life. Today, when you go to the place on the shoreline where it's believed that this event occurred, 
you will find a little garden and a little chapel has been built there known as the Church of the Primacy. The site has now been transformed into a sacred spot. Holy ground, they call it. A stopover for Holy Land pilgrims. But in Christ's day, it was just an insignificant place along the shore. There was nothing religious, special, sacred, or holy about that place. It was just insignificant, unmarked little beach. In essence, Christ appeared to these disciples at work. Hello. Fishing was their trade. This would be the equivalent of Christ appearing to you, no doubt, tomorrow, maybe at the office. Maybe in the break room. Hello. Does AutoZone have a break room? All right. Maybe uh, for those guys in the factories appearing beside you at the assembly line. Hello. Or maybe those that ride the Lorain County Transit bus, maybe he would appear there. Listen, we often expect Christ to show up at church in a faith venue, in a sacred place. Yet he was always dropping in on everyday life in just run-of-the-mill places. He invaded the daily grind. Listen, I'll never forget the day I saw Jesus. I met him personally. It didn't happen for me in the church. I was basically tagging along on an unofficial visitation program with my mother. She took me and my two sisters to see one of the shut-ins who was suffering from uh, diabetic complications, wheelchair-bound, had to have both legs amputated. And so I, I, I was there with her visiting, uh, and, and uh, I was young, learning about Christ. I had learned that he was to be Lord of my life, but yet I had never surrendered my life to his will. And so before we left that, that shut-in's house that afternoon, they said, we want to have an old-fashioned prayer meeting before you guys leave. And right then and there, on a spring day, May the 10th, 1983, I knelt and surrendered my life to the Lord. There was no stained glass. There was no praise and worship team. But Jesus dropped by in a simple house prayer meeting and made his saving presence known to me. He forgave my sin. Hey, anybody ever experienced that? He filled me. The same day, he filled me with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Church, I've never been the same since. Praise God. See, if the only time we look for Jesus is on Sunday morning, hmm, no wonder you miss him. I pray we open our eyes tonight because I believe he is out and about and he is here tonight and you can touch him if you really want to. Hello, you're going to have me preach for just a few minutes. Why you're, 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 you're liable to find Jesus going down the road just like the two disciples traveling on the road to Emmaus. 
You're liable to find Jesus in the grocery store aisle. You're liable to see him hanging out in the backyard or cruising with you on your way to work because with him, the sacred and the secular is both his domain. Huh? Scripture says the whole earth is his footstool. That means uh, he just might show up anywhere. And I'm convinced most of us fall into lapses where we forget the Lord still drops by to work in our lives today. And just about the time we begin to reminisce of how he has showed up previously, uh, he drops by in another dynamic way and surprises us all over again. The disciples learned that just because they saw Christ die did not mean that he was still dead dead and wasn't performing divine drop-ins to come by and see his children during their time of need. Just about the time you think it's over, he shows up in a startling way. And the living, loving Christ can show up anywhere he chooses to. Oh, somebody ought to raise your hands and say, thank you, Lord, for that. Hallelujah. All right, number two. Secondly, okay, first, where does Jesus show up? Anywhere he wants to. Secondly, when? When does Jesus show up? I'll give you the answer, and then we'll unpack it. I like to think of it like this. Jesus will show up when you least expect him but when you most need him. I said, when you least expect him, but when you most need him. Notice the disciples. Okay, let's go back to our text. They're out on the lake working their nets without any success. Just then, Christ appears on the shore. But they don't know it's him. Perhaps it's still dark with the early morning fog. Maybe they were a little too far out in the lake to distinguish his features. Maybe they just didn't expect to see him. Didn't bother to pay attention to the stranger on the shore. Give him a second look. But newsflash. How many know Christ wants to reveal himself to us, but often we don't recognize him? Often the reason we don't recognize him is just like the disciples. We don't expect him. And Christ would like to reveal himself to us, and I believe he drops in on us far more than we realize it. Is that not true? But we don't recognize him because we're not looking for him. I wonder here tonight, how many of you came to church tonight and when you came through the doors, even had the, the foggiest thought come through your mind, a fleeting thought, Jesus might be here tonight. Hmm? I know, I know. Sometimes church attendance just becomes the ritual thing. And I'm glad you're here, believe me. But, but one of the biggest blinders to his presence is our own self-sufficiency. We don't look for him because we've learned to get along 
without him. Hello, that's what these disciples were learning to do. Remember, Peter was a fisherman by profession. He had mumbled and stumbled as a disciple, but he knew the art of this right here. He knew the art of fishing. So here he is, he's falling back on a former confidence. That is until Christ strips him of his self-confidence. And how does he do that? Christ has orchestrated a divinely inspired emptiness. Somebody say empty nets. Notice we're told at the end of verse 3, they caught nothing. Not a zilch. Not even a, a slimy, smelly sardine. Peter and his bass pros had fished all night without a single catch. Their fishing trip was a colossal flop, just like mine most of the time. But what they didn't know was that God was setting the stage for a divine drop-in. God was setting them up for a visitation and a revelation by allowing them to labor all night in vain and in emptiness, and they burn up all their energies, they're exhausted, and it's this season of failure, though, that primes them for a divine drop-in. I want to tell somebody listening right now, maybe your recent failure, I don't think it's the end of the road. I said, it's not the end of the road. Look at it this way. It just might have set you up for a divine drop-in. Because possibly it's all a part of God's plan. Because nothing clouds our spiritual vision like our own successes. Hmm? Because it is hard to see Christ who is standing on the shore if our nets are full and we don't need him. Huh? When we think we've got it all under control, we're less likely to see the risen Lord when it's all about us. Huh? That's why Christ, I believe, lets the disciples try their hardest, try their hand at fishing. Then he sees to it that their nets are complete completely empty. So when, when does Christ show up? When we least expect him, but when we need him the most. He, we'll see him when we're most aware of our need for him. Did you hear me? I said, we will see him when we're most aware of our need for him. Now, put that in your pocket and save it for later. Let's go on to number three. Thirdly, the next question is how? How does Jesus show up? Well, let me answer that, then we'll unpack it. He often shows up in a series of subtle details. Seldom is an appearance of Christ, post-resurrection, announced by angelic trumpets, Preceded by handwriting on the wall? No. 
Whenever the risen Christ's presence has been near to me, it's not been with claps of thunder, blinding bolts of lightning. I remember reading the occasion when God revealed himself to Elijah on Mount Horeb. Remember that? At first, Elijah beheld the great wind. It ripped open the side of the mountain. The great wind was followed by an earthquake. Shook the ground. Then a blazing fire. But how many recall God was not in the wind? God was not in the earthquake. God was not even in the fire. But God, finally, we're told that Elijah heard a still, small, voice. How many know that was the voice of God? Hallelujah. And when Christ appears, you don't have to expect a drum roll. You don't have to have fanfare. He doesn't. He often speaks in quiet whispers. Oh, I believe he can do that right to somebody here tonight. In a gentle nudge or a calm assurance or a, a godly desire or impression. Uh, listen, I was thinking this afternoon, no respectable parent likes to yell at their kids. In a perfect world, as parents, we should be able to get our child's attention with a whisper. Maybe even a wink. Huh? Likewise, God doesn't like yelling at his children to get their attention. Believe me, he can. He can use the megaphone. Hello. But I don't think it's his preference. He comes to us through a series of subtle details. At first, no one picked up on any obvious clues because there wasn't any obvious clues to tip off the disciples to the fact that the man on the shore was Jesus. No, what we find in this passage is that revelation dawns on them gradually. And the truth hits them only after a sequence of clues. Notice Christ's first words. He says, children, have you any meat? Now, this is a qu the question. How many know this is the question every fisherman gets asked? Hmm? So this is not necessarily a clue because in essence, I mean, hey, you guys catch anything? That's what fishermen get asked all the time, right? The disciples were thankfully honest and they answered, no. But notice when Christ addresses his disciples from the shore, pick up on this clue. He uses the word children. Commentator translates that Greek word. He went back in the Greek, and what Christ actually said was lads. In the, in the Jewish culture, Christ was addressing his disciples with a phrase that in their culture communicated affection, intimacy, and care. So that became the first subtle clue because that initial greeting communicated his love. 
These disciples were wayward kids. Prodigal sons. Yet Christ isn't ashamed to call them His children. Hmm? So I believe this was the first subtle clue that pointed to Jesus. The second subtle clue is Christ's instructions when He said, hey, cast the net on the right side of the ship. Now, it most likely didn't register, but the disciples had heard a command very similar to this before. Hello? All the way back, if you turn the pages back to Luke chapter 5, when Christ first called Peter and his fishing buddies to follow him, it was after a very similar episode and a very similar command. They had fished all night in Luke chapter 5, returned to the shore empty-handed, and that's when Christ told Peter, okay, you need to launch out, row back out there, and cast in your net once more. And what's it say? They took in a miracle catch. So in a subtle way, here Christ is reminding them of the very first time they met the Son of God. Now, three and a half years later, when Christ is re-enlisting them into His service, I believe He primes the pump by using the same circumstances and even similar words of instruction. I believe that right here, Christ stirs up the beginnings of their minds and faith, and they begin to maybe realize, because truth, often when God reminds us of His former works, it's often His way of preparing us for a new and future work. God isn't into reminiscing about the past just for old time's sake. Hello. He's not sentimental without a purpose. And when God recalls a past victory or past event, it's to prepare us for future victories that lie ahead. And as the fishermen are laughing and they're celebrating and dragging in their stretching, bulging nets, it suddenly hits John. This string of subtle clues starts coming together. Dots begin to connect. Puzzle pieces fall into place. And John is the first one to realize this is Jesus. Praise God. And as soon as John realizes that this is Jesus on the shore, he says three words, it's the Lord. Say that with me. It's the Lord. I love that phrase. What an incredible experience it is when we suddenly recognize God's purpose behind the perceived randomness. You weren't expecting it. You didn't see it coming. But a miracle snuck up behind you, slapped its hands over your eyes, and said, guess who? And by that time you realize it's the Lord. I said it's the Lord. Let me tell you fine folks uh, here tonight. Uh, if you feel anything special in this service tonight. Uh, it's not anything that pastor can do. It's nothing that the songs could do. Uh, but it's the Lord. 
I said, it's the Lord. And there's an expression among us Pentecostals that sums up this kind of experience. When Christ drops in and surprises us, when the subtle clues begin to mount up, we say something like, it's a God thing. I said it's a God thing. That's exactly what the disciple John had as his reaction. The nets are suddenly full. Why, look at all those trophy bass, Brother James. And John shouts at that moment and says, it's a God thing. It's a God thing. And after all these clues and it dawns on John, he looks to Peter. And he says, Peter... It's the Lord. Hallelujah. He doesn't call himself. John doesn't call himself by his given name. He uses his pen name, which is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Huh? That points us, I believe, to a connection, profound connection. The disciple that cultivated the most intimate relationship with Christ was the first one to recognize his presence. The people who love Christ the most are usually the first to sense his presence. Church, if we want to be quick to recognize the Lord when he drops in Broadway, we must cultivate a personal and spiritual intimacy with him like never before. And it is then that we'll be quick to see and say with John, it's the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody ought to raise your hands and say, it's the Lord. All right, so far we've answered three questions. Where does Jesus show up? Anytime, or excuse me, anywhere. When does he show up? When you least expect him, but you need him the most. How does he show up? In a series of subtle clues. Now the final question. Have I put you all to sleep? Good. Why? Why does Jesus show up? Okay, let's put it this way. Christ shows up to turn our ship around. Hallelujah. This is what happened to the disciples. They were occupied with the business of fishing until it dawned on them the stranger on the shore was Jesus. That's when they immediately turned and steered their ship his direction. They turned that little boat towards the man on the shore. And in fact, read it. Peter couldn't wait for the boat to get turned around. When he found out from John that it was the Lord, he dove into the lake and began to swim to shore. You've got to love Peter's enthusiasm. Huh? Even while we mourn his common sense. 
But you got to know, Peter's only thought was, forget this boat. Why, forget these fish. I'm getting to Jesus. Hello. This is what happens, beloved, when we truly see the Lord. He eclipses all other concerns. Hmm? Hallelujah. Oh, I wish some of us would make Peter's decision. Who cares that I've failed and caught no fish? I've got to get to Jesus. Hmm? Who cares that I look a little crazy and undignified paddling around in this water? I'm going to Jesus. Huh? Who cares that the, what the others in the boat think? I've got to get to Jesus. Oh, somebody ought to say hallelujah. Listen, when Jesus shows up, it creates a shift in the direction. When he crosses our path, our path gets altered. He comes with new directions. He comes with new coordinates. He plots a new course. He takes over the steering wheel. Somebody ought to say here tonight, forget it everything else I'm going to get to Jesus I said I'm going to get to Jesus because when Jesus drops in it always produces a transformational moment Oh, somebody ought to praise him for a moment or two. Some of you young people ought to praise him for a little moment. Because notice with me, Jesus doesn't come to us to endorse the status quo. Life does not remain the same after a divine visitation. No, no, no. In no other words, he rocks the boat. He comes to do a new work. And that work is transformational. And he works big changes sometimes it's little at a time but it's workable and when Christ invites you to a meal on the shoreline you can be sure he's going to deal with matters of eternal significance oh hallelujah is this okay and when he comes, listen, when he drops in, the truth begins to come out. Peter, what are you doing? I commissioned you guys. But here you've returned to your old life. Hello? Things we would like to leave stuffed in the closet when Jesus shows up. How many know they just come falling out? Huh? Skeletons topple out of the closet. Smoke screens dissipate. The real issues come to the surface. When Christ comes in, it forces us to face the truth about ourselves and say, oh, oh wait a minute. Maybe I do need to chart a new course. Listen, Christ comes when we least expect him, but we most need him because he loves us and he wants to help you turn your life around. I said he'll help you turn that ship around. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm almost done. Everybody say praise the Lord. Okay. 
I'll preach another hour then. Just kidding. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to close. This whole experience in John 21, it happens when? Early in the morning. Huh? In fact, most of Christ's post-resurrection appearances occurred in the a.m. Hey, you guys that like to sleep till the p.m., you'd have missed it. His first drop-in to Mary outside the tomb was at the breaking of day. Huh? And so I just got to thinking, it's appropriate that this incident, John 21, dawns on the disciples at dawn. My takeaway is this. Whenever Jesus drops in, it marks a brand new day. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So whether you're 14 or 43 or 104, when the risen Christ drops in, it marks the beginning of a brand new day. Tonight, just as he did on the shore that morning, he said, come and dine. Oh, hallelujah. I remember that old hymn. Come and dine, the master calleth. Come and dine. If you're not a believer here tonight, his words apply to you. Come. Come and dine. Come to him. He'll wash those sins away. Woo, hallelujah. If you're already a child of God, reaffirm the fact when it looks like you're all by yourself alone, suffering failure, Christ is right over there. Hello? He's not that far away. But he wants to make his presence known to you in a personal way if you'll recognize him. And when the risen Christ drops in, you'll stand with John and say, what? What John say? It's the Lord. It's the Lord. So in closing is Sister Jones, my lady wisdom, comes to the piano. What is a divine drop-in? Well, I think it's an unexpected, unanticipated moment with Jesus. Does that make sense? Hey, you're going to get out of here and go home or go eat somewhere in just a moment here. I'll be done. I'll be wrapped up. This message will be history. You'll never think of it again. But I want to leave you with three characteristics of a divine drop-in. Number one, most divine drop-ins happen in vulnerable moments. Hello? The disciples had no idea they were about to encounter the risen Lord at this conclusion of their failed fishing trip. But what you got to realize, this divine drop-in occurred when they were at the end 
of their capabilities. That's the way it is with us. We may have ended up somewhere we didn't expect to end up. Don't just sit there and have a pity party. I want to tell somebody that your time for a divine drop-in. Jesus can show up right there. Number two, often divine drop-ins turn our worries into worship. Do you hear me? The stand together. Divine drop-ins often turn our worries into worship. Because that morning sitting on the shoreline eating breakfast with Jesus was not on their radar. Hmm? But when they were sitting there fellowshipping with their Lord, I believe they forgot about all that long night of toil. Oh, hallelujah. That overwhelming feeling turned into over... Uh, Enjoyment, excuse me, that they had encountered the Lord, and I believe all the worries about stepping onto that shore without being able to take a single fish home. I believe they were saying, Thank the Lord, you saved us. Jesus, you're a lifesaver. They begin to worship Him. Anybody in the house tonight want to worship Him? Anybody in the house tonight come with some worries tonight? I don't want you to take those worries and leave. I want you to leave with some worship. Having taken your worries to the Lord and leave them there. Oh, hallelujah. They were overjoyed. They took fish home. They had 153. I don't think they ate them all for breakfast. Oh my goodness. I said, I don't think they ate all three, all 153 for breakfast. Uh, there was just a handful of disciples. Uh, they took it home uh, and they didn't have to say, oh, it was a terrible night. No, they began to testify and they worshiped the Lord among their families uh, and said, it could have been bad, but Jesus showed up and changed the entire fishing trip. Oh, hallelujah. And finally, number three, divine drop-ins change our perspective. Because on the shoreline that day, the disciples' perspective changed. They were no longer mourning the past. They were stepping into the future. I said they were stepping into the future. Jesus said, Peter, come here. They started walking over here, and he said, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord. And they walked a little further, and Jesus said, you love me, Peter? He said, I already answered that. Are you getting a little dementia? He said, no, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. Do you really love me? He said, if you really love me, you're not going to get back in that boat and start fishing again. You're going to become a fisher some... Your life is going to change. Listen, your perspective is going to change. Your eternity is going to change. You're going to take some people with you to heaven. I said, you're going to take some people with you to heaven. I'm calling you, Jesus said, feed my sheep. You're going to go off of this shore and you're going to enter into the ministry. You're going to enter into the harvest field and your life is never going to be the same again.
So whether you're in a dry place tonight, a tough place, a hard place, one of those waiting places, challenging places, it's in those places you realize this is a good place for God to show up. Woo! Right at this location, a divine drop-in stands as a tipping point, church, because afterwards, things are never going to be the same again. Things are never going to be the same again. Don't miss your moment tonight. He just might be dropping by. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these fine folks. I pray somebody here tonight has a, a divine drop in. You just come into their mind, come into their emotions, come into their heart. Come in, Lord, and just speak to the situation. Speak to the failure that they feel surrounded with. Change their perspective and turn their worries into worship. All right, all across the building, would you raise your hands and worship? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you just turn your worries into worship for just a few minutes to Broadway? Oh, hallelujah. Broadway, go ahead. Do I have some young people that will start worshiping the Lord? Oh. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the presence of the Lord. Anybody want to slip out of your seat? Come and worship Him. Would you do that? Come and worship Him. He wants to turn your worry into worship. Let Him meet you. Let him stop by. I believe it. I believe it. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Broadway. Thank you, Broadway. Just respond to Jesus for a few moments tonight. The altar's open. We at Broadway want to say thank you for joining us in worship today via online. We want to invite you to like our Facebook page as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel. And please, if you don't mind, share us across your social media platforms. Let me just say a quick prayer of blessing today as we just conclude our time together in this video. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this avenue of worship that we have to utilize our online tools and furthering your gospel, furthering your kingdom. I pray that you would bless those who have tuned in today. Keep your hand on them. Minister to their hearts. Minister to their minds. And God, just do a work in their lives. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your holy name. Amen.